Turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 20, verses 24 and following. Yes, we are skipping over a number of chapters in the Gospel of John. My runway is short now. We cannot cover everything. Back in the middle of the winter, I projected where I would land coming up to my retirement at the end of last month. Yeah, yes, May 31st. And I knew the messages that I wanted to be the last three messages that I would preach here. I knew that I would not be able to cover all of John. With the extension of the time because of the virus for another month, we were able to include four messages from John 13 with Jesus washing the disciples' feet to John chapter 17, Jesus' prayer for himself, his disciples, and for us. But we cannot cover what happened that is most important, that all the Gospels are about, and that is the passion of Christ himself, how he faced his arresters, his floggers, his haters, and he loved us and laid down his life for us. I don't want to breeze over that. That is the heart of the gospel. But you know that. Now we look at the disciples and see after the resurrection their response And I looked at this passage wondering what it would be like as we were coming up to this time of transition. As I would retire, the next pastor would come in. We did not know uh, back in the middle of the winter uh, what the gap might be, what the uh, uncertainties might be. And I looked at this passage and saw that it was about doubting Thomas. He was not sure of anything anymore. If anything, he was sure that he didn't believe the testimony of the other disciples. And I thought I might speak to our doubts and call you to look in faith and trust to God in the context of the transition, the pastor search. And here we land when that has fallen into place. We see God's hand at work. And I call on you to remember that, that the way we say that, that we see God's hand at work. We're going to talk about doubting Thomas who said it first. He wouldn't believe it until he saw it. Seeing is believing. But there are so many things that God does that are invisible, that we only see through the eyes of faith, and we see God's hand at work. And that has fallen into place. But back in the winter, we didn't know about the virus. We didn't know about the social unrest in our country. And that seemed to be, uh, that, that now is the big issue. That's why we would worry, those issues. And we wonder what's going to happen. We may be filled with doubt for different reasons. This passage is still very relevant. So let's read John chapter 20, verses 24 through 29. Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were, And put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. A week later, his disciples were in the house again. And Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. 
Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And then we find the two verses that are our theme for the whole study of John. John, at this point, after Thomas, Thomas's doubts are vanquished, says, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The concern is for you that you would believe and that by believing you would have the life that Jesus came to, to bring beyond death, through death, in glory forever. The question this morning is, where are you on that range of doubt and believing? The disciples have been with Jesus from the start for, of his earthly ministry. They've been with him for three years. They followed him from the start, and we could genuinely call them believers from the start, but they were so confused they didn't know much. Jesus was teaching and training them. He's still teaching and training them. To actually understand the setup, we have to go back into the previous uh, verses, back in verse 19. We learn on the, the night of the resurrection of Jesus, the disciples were gathered together. And the doors were locked for fear of the Jews. Now we know from the Gospel of Luke that the women had, had uh, gone to the tomb. The angel had told the women, he isn't here. He is risen just as he said, go and tell his disciples. And Luke tells us that the disciples didn't believe the women. They thought they were crazy. Peter and John ran to the tomb. They saw the uh, empty tomb. So the, the word is getting out. But still on that evening, instead of being courageous and excited, they are in this upper room with the doors locked. And Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Now, we often look down on Thomas, but that's not quite fair that he was more of a doubter. He just wasn't there in this circumstance. But Jesus showed the, the 12 minus Judas Minus Thomas, who is absent, down to 10, he showed them his hands and his feet, and they were filled with joy. They needed the same measure of proof and evidence that Thomas needed. He was not with them at this point. Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. It's a, a taste of the Great Commission. These are the ragtag band of disciples that are going to take the gospel of Jesus Christ, his atonement for sin by his death on the cross, his resurrection from the dead, and the life that he came to give. They're going to take it to all the world. They are going to be the ones. Jesus didn't write anything down. He taught them. He showed them his power. But he didn't write anything down. He said the Holy Spirit will come and through the Holy Spirit working in you, he will remind you of everything I've said and lead you into all truth. The New Testament that completes the Bible is the work of the apostles as Jesus sends them into the world. But picture this moment in this small room, locked doors. They're afraid of the Jews. These are the 10 that are going to take the gospel to the whole world. Verse 22 is very, very interesting. Lots of different commentary on it. 
And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. D.A. Carson was very helpful here. He listed all the other interpretations of things, but he pointed out that the Greek word for breathed, translated breathed, does not automatically have a sense of a preposition with it, breathed on. That is a matter of the translators putting that in because they see the context that he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And it makes it sound like he breathed out the Holy Spirit on them. But the text simply says, he, and he breathed and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And he led in a direction that I think is fascinating. And it should be an encouragement to us. If we are worried now, if we uh, are stressed now, if we are, are, are doubting now, Jesus looked at his band of ten, minus Judas, who had betrayed him and committed suicide, minus Thomas, who was absent. And in that band of ten, he saw a Peter who had faltered and denied him three times, and the rest of them had just deserted him. Yes, John was at the foot of the cross. None of them were standouts. And these were the ones who were going to take the gospel to the whole world. I think it's simply, and Jesus breathed. Now, it may be overpressing it to say, and Jesus sighed. It's somewhere between, and Jesus sighed, and he took a deep breath, and he said, you need the Holy Spirit, guys. You're not going to be able to do this like this. You're afraid. You wouldn't even step out when you know I'm raised from the dead. You see me, and you're overjoyed, but you need the Holy Spirit. When he said receive the Holy Spirit, it's very much in kind with the other statements that he made earlier in Jesus' prayer. He said, Father, glorify thy son. It didn't mean in that moment Jesus went to the cross, uh, rose from the dead, ascended into heaven. He was forecasting the next things that were going to happen in the next few days and weeks. It was 40 days before he ascended into heaven after his resurrection. So when Jesus said, Father, glorify thy son, we understand that's a process over the next a few weeks. In the same way, I believe this is a forecast of Pentecost. When you looked at the disciples and said, receive the Holy Spirit, because you need him. Add what access to it. You wait in Jerusalem until you receive power. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will receive that power, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and unto the ends of the earth. Now, you see how special this event was? The night that Jesus had uh, risen from the dead in the morning, and Thomas missed it. So that's where we pick up here. Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. Now, do you ever think it would be easy for you to believe if you just could have been there, if not to see Jesus in person, to at least hear directly from Peter, James, John, Philip, Nathaniel, all the rest of them, and know their excitement? It was so immediate. Thomas had been with Jesus for three years. Thomas was you know, earlier mentioned in John as one who was not so much doubting as pessimistic. When Jesus said, I'm going to Jerusalem, Thomas said, okay, let's go to and die with him. He, he didn't believe what Jesus was saying about rising from the dead. He didn't understand what it meant. He certainly didn't think of a physical resurrection. He just knew that to go to Jerusalem was certain death. But I love Thomas, for his commitment and loyalty to Jesus, would you and I have that if we knew that we were following Jesus to our death in the next few days or weeks? That is Thomas's faith 
and commitment, even though he needed to raise up his eyes and see beyond what he could see with his physical eyes. Thomas said to them, unless I see the nail, see the nail parts, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. Now, it would have been sufficient for Thomas to say, oh, I don't believe it. But he's emphasizing, unless I see it for myself, and not only see it, unless I touch his nail prints, and I put my hands in his side, I'm not going to believe this. I won't believe it until I see it. Now, that's the world's vision. That's the world's attitude. They will not believe beyond what they can see. Empirical science is the uh, final answer. Now, I want to, to say here that empirical science has given us an awful, awful lot. And I, I think we should listen to scientists when it comes to uh, studying the vaccines and viruses, et cetera, et cetera. And as scientists learn more and more, the sphere of uncertainty perhaps will narrow until they can know this works, this doesn't, this is what we should do. God has gifted us in many ways you know, through scientists, but what they can know is limited to what they can see, taste, touch, hear, or feel, the empirical senses. And if you limit your understanding of truth to that, you may think that truth is certain because you hear, feel, taste, touch, uh, or smell it. That's the fifth sense. You think you know it for sure, but you only know this much because much of reality is beyond what you can see. Thomas didn't see Jesus yet, so he didn't believe, but he was dead wrong. He trusted in his own senses, and he said, prove it by showing me. And he missed out on the greatest event ever until Jesus appeared to him. A week later, the disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, now notice that the doors are still locked. Boy, they need the Holy Spirit. You see, I don't think that this is John's Pentecost where he says, receive the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit comes down upon them. He's just saying, receive the Holy Spirit, you need him. Wait in Jerusalem until he comes upon you. The doors are still locked here, and Jesus appears again. Perhaps it's the doors are miraculously opened as they were for Peter when he escaped prison and the doors were opened. More likely, Jesus, in his physical body, was able to do what we cannot comprehend. It was just there. Jesus said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Whoa. It's not just that Thomas sees the resurrected Lord. He sees the omniscient God who knew what he said the week before when he wasn't there. He knew the secrets of his heart. Jesus said, stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. It is the simplest, most concise, and most profound expression of belief in Jesus and his deity that we have in the Gospels. My Lord and my God. And he didn't mean that in a private sense, that you're mine, not anybody else's. He's saying, I'm joining with the universe of those who, who know you and believe in you and trust in you. 
And notice what Jesus said in response to him. He said, because you have seen me, you have believed. We'll stop there before we get to the second half. This is not disparaging, I think, to Thomas. I think Jesus delighted in showing his hands and his feet to the disciples the week before. He delighted in revealing himself to Thomas. They were going to be the witnesses uh, for his resurrection to all the world, and he wanted them to know with certainty. In fact, the skepticism of Thomas is greater assurance to us because we believe not on the basis of superstition, not on the basis of wishful thinking, not on the basis of, of hope. We believe on the basis of witness who saw the evidence. You see, the very evidence that was there before the disciples is before us. It's just through their witness, their testimony, that we can see that evidence that Jesus was there in the body, resurrected from the dead. And Thomas was so struck, not only by the appearance of his resurrection, but by his omniscient knowledge of Thomas and who he was. He said, my Lord and my God. Jesus said, it's a good thing, really, that you believe me because you've seen me. But likewise blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That's you and that's me. We believe through the apostolic word that is the scripture about who Jesus is, what he did. And because we believe, we believe in the resurrected Christ. Because over 500 saw him at one time. Paul goes down that road and talks about how many appearances Jesus gave to, to people over 40 days, over 500 at once. And many of them gave their lives for this testimony to Jesus. And we find their witness credible. The thing is, we're biased against that witness the way we're born. Our sinful nature is to want to run from one who would make a claim to be Lord of our lives. But the work of God is, by his spirit is to work in us, to give us a new heart, to run to him, to embrace him and say, my Lord and my God. And when we come to him in that way, and we know the, the historical facts of how God has revealed himself through Christ, uh, through the uh, acts in the Old Testament, the acts in the New Testament that he did in history through the word written for us, given through the prophets and the apostles, then we begin to see God's hand at work in all sorts of things. We begin to understand that God is sovereign over every detail of our lives. We know that we should be responsible about things like our, uh, our health and, and the physical care and precautions about the virus. We should be responsible. We should be loving towards our neighbor. We should be respectful. But we're not living as though everything is up to chance and, and our lives are, are as best we can control it. We believe in the God who's sovereign over everything. And we see his hand behind everything. God only allows an affliction in your life that he knows he will work together for your good because he has called you according to his purpose and renewed your heart to love him. God knows that about you. And you can trust that he's at work in the, the bad times. We're going to talk about that in two weeks when the nets are empty, when the nets are full as we look at the event with the fishermen. Do you trust God in that way? Do you see God's hand at work? You have to have the eyes of faith to see it. You see, it's not seeing is believing. It's believing is seeing what truly is. And that's God's hand at work. And that's where I turn with just delight and celebration the, 
the fruit of the search committee. It's quite amazing that a plan that we would conceive and lay out that would go over the course of, of 18 months about what is God's timing for, for me to retire, who would the committee be that the congregation would elect, who would the candidates be that, as they would pray that, that God would lead us to the man that he would choose for Sycamore, and to see all of this come together, the only hitch was the virus that delayed us a month. That's okay, isn't it? As far as this is concerned, we can see God's hand at work. And when I talked with Sean this week, I FaceTimed. We had to see, see face-to-face. My heart beat with uh, just a resonance with this brother in Christ that I look forward to passing the baton off to him because he loves the Lord. He's committed to the word. He has uh, just much to offer. He, he already left Sycamore. You might not have known this. He's been worshiping with us on uh, Sunday mornings through this COVID uh, time when he and his family has been sheltering at home. And I understand that he, that he and his wife did not tell the kids that Sycamore was one of the churches at first that they were candidating at. They just thought, which service would you like to watch? And the kids were drawn to Sycamore. See God's hand at work and praise God for it. If you believe that God is at work, you're going to see far more that is true than you can see with your physical eyes. If this doesn't make any sense to you at all, then you're still saying, I'll believe it when I see it. I'll believe it when I see it. And frankly, you can't explain much in this life at all. I call you to come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that the Holy Spirit would touch your heart and change it so that you would want to come to him. I pray that God would lead you to a place where you, you couldn't go farther without running to Christ. I pray that God would do a work in you, whether it's be through blessing or through, through ill circumstances that would bring you to an end of yourself. And you would say, my Lord and my God, thank you for going to the cross for me. Thank you for breaking the power of death in your resurrection. And I fall down at your knees. I know. I believe. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are utterly dependent upon the work of your Spirit to do anything of eternal value. We are just like that ragtag bunch of, of apostles that could do nothing in their own strength that Jesus looked at them and said, oh, you need the Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit came upon them in power, and the same power that was at work in raising Christ from the dead, the same power that was at work in them, is at work in us to draw us to your Son, our Savior, and to lead us in the path everlasting. Father, we praise you and thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen.